Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, hello, Pat. Hello, listeners. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Kick Pregnancy Podcast. It's great to be back. I know. First one for this year. We've been a little bit absent and apologies for that. And thank you to all the people on Instagram um, and Facebook that gently remind us to get some content out there, please. We've been busy doing exciting things, so we'll get onto that in a minute. We're going to talk all about the menstrual cycle today, which is also really exciting. We haven't covered that before, have we? Not really. We always refer to it, but we realised we hadn't really done an episode on the basics of the menstrual cycle itself. And I think that it's time to do that now so that we can make sure that people listening have got a solid grounding in that because it gets a mention in terms of the other episodes. So knowing the basics is important. Yeah, and also we get tons of questions about nuances about a a menstrual cycle. Yeah, is this normal? Is that normal? Yeah, and that happens all through your life. Like, you know, I'm a year off a big milestone and, you know, all of those things, like, you know, my period was changing as I was getting older and, you know, there's just questions that pop up all the Mm -hmm. time. So we're going to cover that off. But I do want to start with a lovely testimonial. You know, people send us DMs with, you know, how much they love the podcast, which we absolutely love reading. So and it keeps us going, doesn't it? It's, it really does. It helps us get the energy to do more because it's just so cool to read messages from literally all around the world. Yep. The only way that, you know, we can see it, say, on Apple iTunes is if you have it. And I, I know most of you listeners are in Spotify. So Yeah, but it's through iTunes that we get the reviews, right? Yeah, the reviews yeah. and the ratings and that pushes up the rankings and then it get pushed out to more people and and it's important for us if we've helped you in any way, we'd love you to take a minute to jump into Apple iTunes and give us a review or a rating and uh, yeah, that'll push us up the ranking and the charts again. So we want to read out this one is from America behind me. Now I don't know her first name, but uh, we chat sometimes on DM and it's really lovely. She is a lovely woman who has written I appreciate your podcast so much. Can't say enough about how your episode on ectopic pregnancies helped me. It's shocking to me how inconsistent the knowledge is and I feel lucky to be alive. I have also listened to your miscarriage podcast twice since I had a miscarriage as well. I'm sure it's exhausting to do your day jobs and be parents and do this work on the side. I just want to reiterate my gratitude that you do it anyway. Oh, fantastic. And it is a bit of a labour of love. Obviously, uh, you know, we get to talk about our program, the Grow My Baby program. Sure. Which is a pregnancy program that helps you with information direct from an expert about your pregnancy from getting pregnant right up to when you bring the baby home. Mm-hmm. But it is a labour of love. Yeah, and something we have to fit in between all everything else we've got uh, going on professionally and as a family. So thank you for uh, recognising that. And I'm really pleased that the episodes that you listened to were so helpful for you. And we've had two big things in our family and our work life. They blend in together. But family life, we have our eldest moving out of home. I know. 
feels very strange. Very strange. She's going off to college. And in our business, we just been busy behind the scenes and, and that's mostly why our absence, but we're building our new clinic, the Ballarat Women's Clinic. Yeah, which is super exciting. New location, whole new business. So we're really, really pleased about that and keen to tell you all about it in some upcoming episodes because it's happening in the next few months. Very exciting. All right, Pat, I think it's useful, isn't it, if we go back to basics and just sort of talk about what is the menstrual cycle? Yeah, what is it? So the menstrual cycle is a series of changes in hormone production and the function of the brain, uterus and ovaries that control menstruation and also create the possibility of pregnancy. So I think it's easiest to understand, not worrying too much about this phase and that phase that you'll see in those diagrams and the year 10 science textbook diagram of the cycle, but really to think of it in terms that ordinary people would experience, which is the cycle itself and the days of the cycle. So day one is the start of the cycle and that's the first day of bleeding. It's called the menstrual phase, if you need to give it a name. And at this stage of the cycle, all the hormones are sitting there pretty low. The bleeding's actually happening. After a few more days, a hormone starts coming out of your brain called FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone. And what that hormone does is stimulates some of those deep follicles, the little tiny sacs that are going to eventually contain a mature egg. Now, you've got hundreds of thousands of those little follicles, and under the influence of FSH hormone in those early days of the cycle, one of them gets matured up above the rest and becomes what I call the chosen one for the month. And that's the one that's actually going to have a mature egg inside it, mature enough to actually be ovulated out in the middle of the cycle. During that phase when the follicle is developing and the chosen one is chosen and the egg is maturing, the ovary is also producing estrogen and the estrogen is making the lining of the uterus thicker. About day 13, a second hormone kicks in from the brain called LH, and that's the one that those ovulation predictor kits can test for. And what it does is cause the final maturation of the follicle and the egg, such that the egg is ready to be released the following day after the LH surge, which is in a textbook cycle about day 14. So out pops the egg on day 14. The egg starts its journey out towards the fallopian tubes, hoping that the fingers on the end of the fallopian tubes will catch it and direct it down the tube, where if we're trying to get pregnant, might meet up with some sperm coming the other way. In the tube? In the tube, yeah. So when the egg pops out the surface of the ovary, the mature follicle that let go of the egg, the rest of it turns into a structure called corpus luteum and the corpus luteum is a little structure on the surface of the ovary that's main job is to produce tons of progesterone and the second half of the cycle everything after the ovulation day is kind of dominated by progesterone from the corpus luteum and that progesterone's job is to stabilize the menstrual lining in the second half of the cycle and get it ready for the implantation of the egg if the egg happens to get fertilized so if a fertilized egg implants then the pregnancy is off from there and assuming that pregnancy doesn't take place then eventually the corpus luteum runs out of function gets smaller and disappears the progesterone level goes right down and the bleeding starts again and that's the new day one whole process is repeated 
So even though, you know, you said day one, at day one, yes, all the hormones are low, when did you say the hormones start kicking in again? Well, estrogen rises progressively through the first half of the cycle and peaks around the middle and progesterone is the dominant hormone of the second half of the cycle. The whole thing, there's so many moving parts, isn't there? There are. So understanding that explanation, one of the useful things you could do is get out that old high school science diagram of how the cycle works. And maybe we'll attach that to the show notes so that people could look at that diagram and listen to me explain how that works, Mm, hopefully. At the same time, yeah. At the same time and understand that process. All right. So does a woman's cycle sort of change throughout her life? Yeah, absolutely. So it definitely changes throughout a woman's life. And that can also help us understand some of the ways in which menstrual issues might be causing a problem or might present if the woman needs to go to a doctor about one of these issues. So let's look at the first stage of pre-puberty. At that stage, those FSH and LH hormones are just not coming out of the brain to stimulate the cycle. So that's why it's no period. Anatomically, a woman's got ovaries and a um, uterus, but they're not being stimulated. At Puberty, FSH and LH start being produced in the brainstem, come down to the ovaries and kickstart the start of a cycle. Now, they will stimulate the ovary to start functioning hormonally, but they don't often result in full ovulation in the first couple of years. And that's because the hormonal processes here are pretty complicated and they take quite a while to establish their full functionality. So you'll get some periods in that first couple of years that can be anovulatory, no egg. And it's often described as being an immature relationship between the brain and the ovaries. So when those cycles result without an egg, then just like any other anovulatory cycle, they can be problematic, irregular, too heavy. And so we do see adolescent women for menstrual disturbances if they're quite significant. And sometimes we can treat those by replacing the the lack of natural progesterone in the second half of the cycle because there's no egg, so there's no corpus luteum, so there's no progesterone with some artificial progesterone from a source like a contraceptive pill. Yeah, right. Just bank that information. That might be handy for all these women that are having daughters um, for later. Yeah, so the first couple of years, as few as 10% of the cycles are fully mature ovulatory cycles. So then we get past those first couple of years and just move into normal menstrual years, which might go from 15 or so till about 45, 46. And in those years, the menstrual cycle is working in a totally normal situation. It's working normally. The hormonal cascade that I mentioned before is functioning normally and the cycle is functional and the woman is fertile. After that, in the late 40s, so-called perimenopausal change, we start to see the ovary being unable to fully respond to stimulation from the brain such that some months there's no egg. So we might have 10 ovulatory cycles a year and two anovulatory cycles. And those anovulatory cycles will typically have issues with heavy bleeding or a cycle that's way too long followed by a heavy period. We might be able to put up with the odd one, but as the ovary is increasingly unable to ovulate each month, then menstrual disturbance related to anovulation becomes more common and we're much more likely to see women at that time with issues of uh, heavy or irregular menstrual periods. 
one more phase we didn't talk about, and that's that's menopause. So menopause comes; it's commonly thought of being when you run out of eggs, and it's not it's not really running out of eggs. It's just when the ovary gets to the point where it can't respond at all to the stimulation from the brainstem. Once it's done, doesn't matter how much the FSH and LH hormones coming out of the brain say, "Come on, ovary, do something." It, it can't anymore. And so there may still be follicles left in the ovary, but the ovary is no longer capable of maturing them up. So that at that point, hormonal production from the ovary ceases. And I'll see women, of course, at that stage of life, not so much a problem that the ovary can't produce hormones anymore, but the rest of their body might miss the estrogen. So we sometimes see people who've sailed through the menopausal transition without an issue, but sometimes I'll see women who are having typical responses from the rest of their body to the lack of estrogen being secreted by the ovary. So hot flushes, sleep disturbance, uh, breast tenderness, dry vagina and so forth. There are variations though. In a woman's life, she might go, okay, for a period of six months, I could always say that it was about, you know, 28 days or 29 days or whatever. But then all of a sudden I was getting short cycles and then, you know, long cycles. Why, Why does that happen? Well, I've never seen a really good official classification for this, so I kind of invented my own. Okay, so this is the Pat Maloney classification of variation in cycle length, too long, too short. Firstly, some of it's normal. So if the cycle length variation is normal, then it's probably normal. So one, two, three days, my cycle is 27, 28, or 29 days each month. That's probably normal, and they're probably ovulatory cycles. And I guess I would divide those people up into who wants to be pregnant, who doesn't. So if you don't want to be pregnant and there's a two, three-day variation in cycle length, that, that doesn't need treatment. If you do want to be pregnant, then the question becomes, are those cycles ovulatory? And this goes back to what we looked at in the Ovulation Ninja. Yeah, and that's episode two. And it really is very much focused on, are you ovulating? How do you test? This is super important and often poorly understood. So if there's any question marks here, go back to the Ovulation Ninja podcast and have a listen because I think it's really important if you're trying for a baby that that this is a central concept that we have to be really secure on. So if you've got a minor variation in your menstrual cycle length but you're ovulating, it doesn't really matter. A day 21 progesterone test will say, yes, I'm ovulating. And if you do a few of those in a few different months, you might see that you're ovulating anyway, even though the cycle length has a small variation. And really the only thing you might need to do in that cycle is persist a little longer to to conceive or use ovulation predictor kits to track down the exact ovulatory day per month. So it might be different, slightly different day in January than it is in February than it is in March. And those OPK tests, remember, they turn positive on the day before ovulation. So once it's turned positive, you've got a chance to maximise the possibility of fertilising that egg by timing the intercourse appropriately. Now, I just want to clarify because I went back and listened to episode two, How to Be an Ovulation Ninja, and we made mention that the OPKs are only measuring the LH surge, not in fact, whether ovulation has occurred? Yeah, they just tell you that an LH surge is happening right now. That's on the day that it goes positive or the smiley face appears. And we're just assuming that the next day the LH surge actually results in ovulation taking place. And that's why the best investigation really would be the use of OPKs. But if we've also done a day 21 progesterone test, then we've proven that not only is the LH surge happening, but actually ovulation is happening as well. That's actually a question that we got from, uh, let's see, Brooke. 
How regular does a cycle have to be to be of concern? I've been tracking my last six cycles and each has been a different length, ranging from 23 days to 28 days. I feel like it's always been this way, kind of regularly irregular, if that makes sense. Brooke's story, I guess, is what we're talking about. Yeah. And she's got a variation of up to five days, which is getting up there. Yeah. It might be normal. They might be ovulatory. And all she needs is a positive day 21 progesterone test to prove that she's ovulated. And then a box of ovulation predictor kits to track down the ovulatory day per month. With her cycle variation of up to five days, there's a possibility that these are anovulatory cycles. And if the day 21 progesterone test is negative over a couple of cycles, then we've got a bigger problem. And Brooke might need ovulation induction to get pregnant. Right. Medications given in the first half of the cycle that help the ovary get its act together and produce that egg round about the middle. So you're saying that this idea of regularly irregular is more if it's like one to two to three days difference? Yeah, one to two or three days might be totally normal. Closer to seven days, we might actually be dealing with cycles where there, there is no egg. All right. What's it, what else is on the Pat Maloney model? <laughs> Temporary things. Yep. So this is a woman who's got a normal cycle pretty much all the time, 28 days, maybe a little bit of mid-cycle pain on day 14, which is her ovulatory pain. It's all been fine. And then suddenly it just goes wacky. These are brief disturbances to cycle length that might be, well, they might be unexplained, might just be a weird thing that happens from time to time, might be explained by relatively easily treatable underlying health conditions like thyroid disease. So an overactive or an underactive thyroid can cause menstrual disturbance. Sudden weight loss or weight gain, overexercising. Why does overexercising impact your period? It's a little complicated, but if your body weight is very thin and exercise hormones are being regularly produced, it interferes with the production of FSH and LH in the brainstem. So the cycle stops having that kickstart. I know what that's going to do. We're going to have lots of DMs about how many times people are training. Yeah. Do you have an idea of? No, it's too, too varied. Yeah. yeah. If you suspect that might be you, then some hormonal testing is uh, really important. If you're keeping up that level of physical training and you wish to conceive. Yeah. And you've been trying for six to 12 months or something. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing that level of physical training and you're training for the Olympics mm. and the period disappears, that's something worth discussing with your local doctor, but it may not actually be a problem for you at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But if you're a distance runner and you're a very slim woman and, and the period disappears, you won't get pregnant until that's been addressed. Mm. Emotional stress, amazing. And that's variable as well because, you know, we know people can get pregnant in times of famine. So Exactly. These are, these are highly variable things. There's no rules here. But some people are highly susceptible to a family stress, a parent dying, a loss of a job, a major life event. And the period can stop or become prolonged or irregular or otherwise different to the woman's nice normal cycle. And one of the ones that we've seen a little bit of in the last couple of years is a temporary cycle disturbance from the COVID vaccine. That's an interesting one. Obviously, vaccines work by stimulating the immune system to make antibodies against that vaccine in the event that if the real disease attacks your body, there's some antibodies good to go. And anything that stimulates the immune system like that can possibly 
cause a, a very temporary disturbance to the menstrual cycle. With the COVID vaccines we've used here in Australia, it seems to be, if it happens at all, one to two cycles. All right. So that's all the temporary reasons for variations. Yeah. So, so what do we do about those? Well, that needs a careful assessment with your healthcare provider. A plan made to address the underlying issue. If it turns out to be hyperthyroidism, then that needs to be treated and the menstrual disturbance will, will go away. When ovulation is restored, then the cycle will be restored and fertility will be restored. We talk about, say, that long-distance runner who may not be trying to get pregnant because she's training for the Olympics or whatever, and so therefore the absence of the period isn't such a big thing. But is it? Not having a period for a period of time, is that a problem? The absence of the period is not such a problem, but in that elite athlete form of amenorrhea, no period, there's a risk of osteoporosis. So a good sports medicine clinic that sees women will look into these things because at that level of training, hormonal disturbances, it's not just about the period. You might think, oh, I can live without my period for six months. You might be at risk of problems with bone mineral density. Right. And... There's another group, the long-term. Yep. These are women who've got lifelong or very, very prolonged issues with the menstrual cycle. A lot of those, most of those, are variations of polycystic ovarian syndrome. And we've done an episode on that. We have. We have. I just don't Anyone remember. who's really interested that should, should flick over and have a look at PCOS. Thinking back to what we just discussed about how the menstrual cycle functions, FSH from the brainstem stimulates some follicles deep in the ovary, one is the chosen one. It's matured up to be the chosen one for that month and ovulated around the middle of the cycle. In a woman with PCOS, there are a very large number of partially mature ovarian follicles and the ovary is really bad at making a chosen one. So one isn't anointed as, yes, this is your month. They all just sort of sit there partially mature and none of them are matured up to the point where they can actually be a functional egg and ovulate it. And it's associated not just with menstrual disturbance, don't ovulate, don't get a corpus luteum, don't get a lot of progesterone, don't have a normal period. And in the more severe forms of PCOS, that might result in a woman who menstruates once or twice a year or never. And obviously won't get pregnant without treatment if she's hardly ever or never ovulating. If that's the underlying problem, then this won't be the odd month or two that's irregular out of an otherwise perfect cycle. This will be a constant and persistent menstrual problem and this needs uh, expert assessment and management. Alrighty. So is that the model according to Pat Maloney? Yeah, the, the last of the long-term ones that we see frequently. There are lots of, lots of causes of this, but common things are common. PCOS and the other one's endometriosis. So endometriosis doesn't just cause painful periods, pain with intercourse and so forth. It can cause menstrual disturbance as well. There are sort of two ways in which it does that. Sometimes it's just the endo and the endo is causing the woman's period to be prolonged or the bleeding, the menstrual phase to be prolonged or heavy. And that will often be treated by treating the underlying endometriosis. And the other thing we have to be careful of, if we've got a, a woman with significant endo and a significant menstrual disturbance, we've got to make sure she doesn't have, she doesn't have both because mm. both PCOS and endo are really common. So statistically, there's no reason why you can't have both. And I've certainly seen women with established endometriosis who've also got polycystic ovarian syndrome. Conversely, I've seen plenty of women who come to see me because they're known to have PCOS, but they've got an awful lot of pelvic pain, which they have 
blamed on their PCOS, perhaps incorrectly, and at subsequent laparoscopy, they've turned out to have endometriosis as well. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. And of your model, like where do people sort of fit in? Like how common is long-term menstrual disturbances? Yeah, well, the key is probably twofold. The first bit is am I trying to get pregnant or not? That'll give you an idea of the urgency of getting this right. And then the second major question, I guess, is the duration. Do I have a cycle that's normal almost all of the time or is there some sort of uh, persistent abnormality? That's not going to be a mystery to an individual patient. She'll be able to tell you that she's never had a period at all. She's 23 years old. Or I have one or two or three a year and that's always been the case. Very, very different to a woman who says, yeah, I've ovulated every um, four weeks for 10 years, but I haven't in the last two months because my partner's got cancer and that's likely to be a temporary disturbance related to emotional stress. It just highlights the need for a careful assessment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's so hard because what do you do when you have a, a disturbance? You jump on Google and, and you get... Uh, a little bit bamboozled, well, I do. Anyway, and, and according to the questions that we get from our DMs and everything, I think that's a common feeling. Yeah, mm. well, part of the reason for a discussion like this one is to add some context to some of those things. If you read about a list of possible causes for a, a cycle problem, there'll be some scary things on there, but the vast majority of them probably don't apply to you and your problem. I'm going to go back to short luteal phase. All right, so this came in today. It's from Emily. Love your podcast. Thank you for all you do. I'm excited for your next episode on menstrual cycles as I'm after some information about shorter luteal phases and whether they impact fertility. We are currently trying to conceive our second baby. I have a regular 28-day cycle, but I'm ovulating around day 19, according to her OPK, which I understand is quite late. How will this affect our chances? Yeah, that's a good question. So let's just make sure everyone knows what the question means. Obviously, the, the luteal phase of the cycle is the second half of the cycle. Well, the second half of a normal cycle. So if we've got a 28-day cycle and we ovulate on day 14, then the luteal phase will run from, from the production of the egg right through until the start of the next period. And that's the post-ovulation progesterone-dominant phase where the progesterone's helping the ovarian lining be receptive to the implantation of a fertilized egg. So... If the ovulation is later than expected, 
So in this woman's cycle, 28 days would be more common to ovulate on day 14. She's ovulating on day 19. So she's got five fewer days of that luteal phase. And this is often referred to as a luteal phase deficiency or defect. It's thought that that means that less time for the fertilized egg to implant and that the lining may not be perfect for that implantation to take place. So it might affect not only your chances of becoming pregnant in the first place, but also maintaining an an established pregnancy once the fertilization has taken place. We're getting now into the pathology end. We've been discussing normality a fair bit. The issue related to luteal phase defects and the treatment of it is reasonably complicated. We do well to discuss that when we do our upcoming podcasts on infertility and the common forms of infertility and what infertility assessment and treatments actually look like. Yeah. I don't think that answers your question today, Emily, but we'll get on to that. For the moment, if you've got a luteal phase that's short and you're not trying to have a baby, it doesn't matter. If you are trying to have a baby, it may well matter. And I think that that in a cycle like that, the patient would be really well advised that if they're getting pregnant really easily, then clearly that short luteal phase is not important for them and doesn't matter. If they're not conceiving quickly, then that may well be highly relevant and a reason for a referral to a um, reproductive clinic. Yeah. We asked on Instagram this morning about uh, what do people want to know, and lots of people have asked about big events. What happens to your period after a big event, such as having a baby or miscarriage or ending breastfeeding? So we've got lots and lots of questions about that. Good. So let's talk about miscarriage. You obviously don't uh, menstruate while you're pregnant. Miscarriage occurs pregnancy ends. Either the uterus expels all of the placental tissue or the woman has a curette and the uterus is emptied. The progesterone levels will then go back to baseline levels again and that's just like the start of a normal cycle. And the cycle kicks in from the brainstem and the process begins again. So I always recommend to my patients to expect a normal period about four to six weeks after a curette is done. That's relevant to people, of course, who are trying again because if they get out to eight or nine weeks since the curette's been done and they still haven't had a period, they may actually be pregnant again already. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's the time frame for, for a bleed to kick back in. The reason it can be nice after, after a miscarriage to have one normal period before becoming pregnant again is that it restores the new day one and then you know when the new day 14 is. So you know when to concentrate into course to try for a new pregnancy. And I think people are talking about that their cycle hasn't come back into regularity after a miscarriage. Yeah, so it should. If it was regular beforehand, then it should come back to regular again. And if it doesn't, then we need to think of other causes other than the miscarriage. Might be some of those temporary variations exactly. that you're saying. Have yeah. you developed a temporary variation based on the stress of having the miscarriage? Mm-hmm. Or is there an underlying problem that didn't used to be so obvious before but is now? Mm-hmm. Miscarriage is a coincidence and we've actually got hypothyroidism. So if you had a regular cycle, you have a miscarriage and then suddenly it's all over the place, that's not expected and that needs definitely needs investigation. Some hormone tests, pelvic ultrasound. So if we're looking at pregnancy, after the baby comes out and the placenta comes out, then those placental progesterones go back down and then it depends whether breastfeeding is established or not. So breastfeeding hormones also inhibit um, menstruation, not completely but pretty well. So if the 
hormones of pregnancy are replaced by lactational hormones, then the period will stay absent or largely absent until lactation finishes and those hormones go away and the standard menstrual cycle can re-establish itself. Mm. We've, again, had lots of people saying that their cycle is very varied, 25 to 30 days, hasn't uh, returned to its regularity either. I'll read out one. Would love to hear about cycle normality after bub. My cycle is now varied, 25 to 30 days. Yeah. So, again, I think that depends on duration. Has this been a few months or a year? Is she looking to be pregnant again? Highly relevant. And then if it's a problem that is persistent, and especially if she's trying to be pregnant again, then we've got to go back to back to basics. Is this an ovulatory cycle or not? Take away anything that would be stopping ovulation. So we might get to the point where breastfeeding is better weaned off altogether. Sometimes people are trying for another baby and they're still doing two feeds a day. Well, that is going to inhibit ovulation to a certain degree. Maybe not 100%, but to a certain degree. So it might be time to wean the first baby off the breast so that the menstrual cycle has the best chance of reestablishing. It's by definition a year now since you were last pregnant, maybe a year and a half. Has something else crept in to explain? Well, you're another year and a half older as well. Yeah, maybe there's been some weight change. Maybe now we've got postpartum postpartum thyroid disease and that's it. So the point I'm trying to make is that um, we don't just say, oh, my cycle went weird after pregnancy. No, we take a careful history, examine the patient, go back to basics and work out whether this is a temporary thing that will resolve with time or something that needs intervention and treatment. For that person, if they've already had an established relationship with a gynecologist, a gynecologist obstetrician, would they go get a referral back to them or is it something that a GP could sort out? Sometimes yes, sometimes the other. It depends. Yeah, it really depends. I think one of the things that good family doctor or general practitioner, one of the things that makes them good is that they're prepared to undertake things themselves that they fully feel on top of, but also that they're ready to refer if we're getting into an area where their expertise is running low. All right. Well, and we've also had questions about people stopping the pill and the and their period not coming back for four or five months as well. Like I'm hearing from you that all of this, if that isn't what you had before Beforehand, this yeah. event, you know, whether it's breastfeeding, baby, coming off the pill, whatever, yeah. and you haven't had a return to a normal cycle or your normal cycle, it's time to seek some help. Absolutely. So let's talk about that pill issue because that's a really common one. If you went on the pill when you were 16 because you had bad polycystic ovarian syndrome and didn't have any periods and then you took that pill for 10 years and it gave you a nice monthly bleed and the acne and the hirsutism was well controlled and everything was happy and then you stop it because you want a baby, you stop it and the period doesn't come back, that's because the same PCOS you had when you were 16 is still there. The pill's been successfully managing that but not curing that and the PCOS underlying is still there and you're very likely to need some treatment to help you get pregnant. If you had a perfectly normal menstrual cycle that had no issues at all and went on the pill purely for contraception and then come off that pill in your mid-20s trying for a baby, it can be normal to have something called post-pill amenorrhea where the cycle from the brainstem to the ovary to the uterus doesn't kick back in overnight. We know sometimes it kicks back in overnight because you can get pregnant from missing just a couple of pills. So some people are obviously on the brink of ovulation and only have to miss a couple of pills and there it goes. But it can equally be normal for it to take a few months to kick back in. In that situation, I'll recommend patients for a few months. If that effect is persistent, five, six months, then back to basics, hormonal testing, 
careful history, work out what's going on. It is really hard because like what we've talked about today is pretty complex. Like I've struggled a bit at the start to sort of keep up with it all. And we do talk about averages and normal and everybody sort of feels a bit shoehorned into those averages and normal. But what I am thinking, you know, listening to you now, it's like, you know, getting to know your normal. Yes. Yes, that's right. And also trying to establish what we're trying to achieve here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So there's an awful lot of talk about cycle lengths and so forth. But if we're trying to have a baby, what's important is are these ovulation cycles. Yep. You just need the egg. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not trying to get pregnant, but you have sort of irregular periods, then you're looking at other things. Are they painful? Are they heavy? You know, they're all the things that you probably also need to get your specialist to have a look at. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been very great. And I think we've, I mean, we have very much covered the questions that we've got. So um, that's great. Well done. All right, everybody. Well, enjoy having us in your ears again. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back. We've got so many great podcasts lined up. We want to talk to a dietitian, exercise physiologist, uh, more from Pat. And any questions that you've got, just come into our DMs and and sort of say this is the next podcast topic, please, and we'll see how we go. And uh, for those of you that have joined the Grow My Baby program recently, welcome. Welcome on board. Uh, We look forward to going through your journey with you and seeing your baby at the end of it. So that's very exciting. Excellent. All right, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.